Pastor Xavier Rees says the choice is yours, but choose you must. You know, Jesus always causes divisions. Jesus will divide you between your friends, your family members, and everyone else. Either you're for Him or you're against Him. Either He is Messiah and Savior and Redeemer and Lord, or He's the greatest lunatic that has ever lived. And you get to decide. And that decision is made before you die, not after you die. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Not only was the coming of Jesus the Good Shepherd foretold by the Old Testament prophets, but also that He would be the cause of division, a stone of stumbling to some. Even now, the Gospel is a Savior to death for some and of life to others. For the same fire that melts the wax also hardens the clay. This is the simple truth Pastor Xavier draws out in a study from the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John. Let's listen. I've entitled the message, The Good Shepherd of the Sheep. The discourse of the Good Shepherd is prompted by the healing and the salvation of the blind men, and it's characterized by three things. Real simple. One, the proclamation, verses 1 through 6. Two, the interpretation, verse 7 through 13. And three, the application, verse 14 through 21. Let's look at the proclamation. Notice first, the connection between the previous chapter and this one is unmistakable. Though we've said it, let me show you some things. The Jews had excommunicated the blind man from the temple for his witness regarding Jesus, that he had healed him. And they condemned him, saying that he was born of sin and rebuked him because he attempted to teach them. Chapter 9, verse 34 and 35. Also, Jesus proclaimed this to be the very purpose for which he had come into the world for, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. Verse 39, interesting phrase. The judgment there is the result of each individual's decision regarding Jesus. God is not at fault or responsible for a person's spiritual blindness. Understand that. You determine whether you reject or accept Jesus, and that choice will allow you to be able to see God's will and what He desires for you, or it will blind you even in greater darkness because of the amount of evidence that's been given to you. Now, there's one more thing. The cultural setting is also unmistakable. Notice verse 1 through 6. In verse 1, the sheepfold was a common place where various sheep were kept for the night, be it in a town or another place. Notice also in verse 2, the shepherd of the sheep enters by the door. Why? Because he has access. He's rightful owner. And then fourthly, in verse 3, the doorkeeper was the one responsible for caring for the sheep till the shepherd came to lead and to call them out by name. Notice in verse 4 and 5 that the shepherd is known as the owner by three things. He brings the sheep out and he calls them by name. Secondly, he goes before them, he leads them, he does not drive them. A shepherd does not drive the sheep, there's lambs. But he leads them. And thirdly, his sheep follow him for they know his voice. His sheep will not follow a stranger. They will flee from the stranger. They don't know the voice of the stranger. 
Now, this is the proclamation of Jesus to the Pharisees in view of their spiritual blindness to catch their attention because of what's happened. All right? Now he moves to give us the interpretation. The theme is what? Verse 9 and 10. Salvation. I am the door. If any man enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastors. And he goes on to speak about came to give them life and life more abundantly. Salvation is the theme. What has happened to the blind man? He's been saved. He declares that he is the door of the sheep. Verse 7. I am the door. The shepherds out in the wilderness would corral the sheep in, whether it be in a cave or some kind of ravine. And then in the small opening, they would lay across the opening and sleep. And they would become the literal door of the sheep. That if any sheep wanted to leave that night, he would have to go over the shepherd and he would awaken. If the wolf wanted to come in, he would have to come through and over the shepherd. Literally, the shepherd would lay his life on the line. Jesus already said that he was the door of the sheepfold for Israel there, verse 7. Jesus now defines the purpose of the door. And again, what? Namely, salvation. Jesus describes the quality of salvation in two ways, though. He's not just uh, satisfying saying salvation, but he, he, he describes it. He says the person will be saved from the judgment of God's wrath for their sins. That's what salvation is through the scriptures. Jesus is the Savior of the world, the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through Him. There is no other name given under heaven and earth whereby men must be saved. There is one man between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. That's called a mediator. John 4, 42, John 4, 6, Acts 4, 12, and 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy 2, 5. No other way. Either you go through that door or you don't enter at all. It's just that straightforward. Notice he says the person will go in and out, which means that he or she will have a sense of safety, freedom, and access to God. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says that we are to come boldly before the throne of grace to find grace and help in time of need. Now my sins are forgiven. Now I have access. I have relationship. I'm justified. I, I have, I have, my kids can come in and out anytime they want my office. Now, most people knock. My kids, they just barge in because they're my kids. You see? I have access to God. Notice he declares the contrast between the coming of the thief and himself in verse 10. This is very important. The thief comes to kill, to steal, kill, and destroy for self-benefit, that they might steal what is not theirs, that they might kill whatever sheep would cry out to give them away, that they might destroy what they cannot take. Thieves and robbers come in your house to steal what doesn't belong to them. They come in, and if someone's in the house and tries to give them away, they'll kill them. And whatever they can't take, they destroy, they vandalize. There are a lot of thieves and robbers in the church today. I get their letters once in a while. Dear Mr. Calvary Chapel, as I was meditating on the word, God brought your name to me. And I know you have great needs, so I've been praying for you, and so on and so forth. They lay it on thick, and then they say, by the way, our ministry is in a crisis, and as you send your prayer request, and I'll be praying for you, then I want you to send in a good-sized offering. Thieves and robbers. There are men who will come in here 
And they promised me they, they can raise a million dollars in a matter of two, three months from you. For a percentage, of course. Thieves and robbers. Don't let any shepherd fleece you. Now the Messiah, in contrast, comes to the sheep and that the sheep may have what? Life. And that they may have it more abundantly. This is with selfless benefit. The other one's selfish. This one is selfless. The life is spiritual and eternal. The life is enjoyed here and now with abundance of benefits and riches of life through what? Through the source of God. It speaks of a quality of life. So when you think of eternal life, don't think of just time without end. Think of it of a quality. You are experiencing eternal life right the minute you accept Christ. You begin to experience the life and awareness of God, His blessings, His goodness, His protection, His direction, His guidance, everything. And then, of course, when you leave this body, you'll be there eternally. Yes, it means without end, but primarily in the scriptures, it means quality of life. God-like, if you will, as we are being transformed from glory to glory by the image of Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of Christ. Now notice he declares now the contrast between the hireling and himself in verse 11 and 13. Notice how Jesus is giving the interpretation. We're not left to our own imagination. It's being laid out for us. So now he declares the contrast between the hireling and himself, verse 11 through 13. Verse 11, he is the good shepherd. He gives his life for the sheep. Verse 12 and 13, the hireling is not the shepherd. Very important principle. The hireling is not the shepherd. Let me suggest to you, there are a lot of shepherds who appear like shepherds, but they're hirelings. They're there for an amount of money. And if their amount of money is not met, they're gone. But that's a hireling. He does not own the sheep. Notice that. He sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and he flees. And he allows the sheep to be caught by the wolf and what? Scattered. He acts like this because what? He is a hireling and does not care for the sheep. Verse 13, very plain. Remember that. This is the interpretation by Jesus to the Pharisees regarding their spiritual blindness. He interprets it. Now, he's proclaimed it. He's interpreted. Now he makes application to it. Because without application, it doesn't help us, right? So we get the application, verse 14 down to 21. Verse 14, the good shepherd knows his sheep. It's very simple. The shepherd is all-knowing. He's omniscient. Having predestinated them, justified them, and sanctified them. I mean, I know my kids. Unless they've got a break. He knows his. <laughs> he knows the end from the beginning. The good shepherd is known by his sheep by virtue of the spiritual birth, even as children know their own parents. A parent goes to the hospital, he knows his child. Though the child's too young to know the parent, but when the child begins to grow, the child knows his parent also. He never mistakes his parents. Notice in verse 15, the good shepherd's relationship to the sheep is as the one to the father. This is a great crossover. He says this, As the father knows me, even so I know the father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. The connection is between the sheep, his knowledge of the sheep, the sheep in him, and now the father in him. It is family knowledge that is intimate. The connection here. It is sacrificial as Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. You as parents know this. 
As you begin and you get married, you're young. We don't have a lot of money when we're young. We get married. We got brain damage. We don't know what's ahead of us. Our tail is wagging. Our tongue's hanging out. And, and we don't know that there's, there's trouble ahead. But kids come, and, and it's hard. It's one of those things, you know, you get a blowout, and then the dryer goes out at the same time. So it's which one do we fix, one or the other? And, and there's always one way or the other, right? And then the kids come, and, and, and you don't have that much money or where it may be. And, and, and here comes the proms, and, and their friends want to go to this land. They want to go. And so what do you do? You sacrifice. You take that this little kitty and you say, here, you go. And you eat hot dogs, pork and beans for the next three days or something. But, you know, because why? Because you love your child, Right? Now, when someone comes to you after your child has grown and whatever, whenever you do that, and, you know, you as a parent don't say, oh, yeah, yeah, that little sucker, I can't believe it. I put out so much for him. I, I, no. You just say, yeah, it was great. I loved it. He looked great. I, I, man, you don't consider it a sacrifice. Why? Because you do it for love. Now, if you don't do it for love, you say, well, tired sucker, I ain't going to do nothing for him no more. <laughs> it's a whole different thing, isn't it? The good shepherd has other sheep that are not Jews, verse 16 tells us. Now he opens a whole can of worms. You think the Pharisees are mad now. The word fold in verse 16 has been primarily been used in our text for Israel. But now Jesus, as he's addressing the Pharisees, he uses other sheep must be brought in. The word must means obligation, absolute necessity. It will happen. He said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. These other sheep will hear his voice as the sheep from Israel have heard his voice. A good example is a paralytic, the blind man. For the scripture says, as many as receive him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. John 1, 12. Remember the prologue? The prologue announces everything's going to happen in John. First 18 verses of chapter 1. So, these other sheep that are not of this fold, Israel... Are who? The Gentiles. The composite of the two folds is the product of what? The church under the leading of one shepherd, the good shepherd, Jew, Gentile, one in Christ. Ephesians 2, 11 through 18, Ephesians 3, 1 through 7. That's the theme of Ephesians. Jew and Gentile, one. The middle wall of partition has been broken down. One in Christ. I love it. Man, what grace. Now notice in verse 17, the good shepherd's relationship to the father now is declared. Here's the application of this. He says, therefore, my father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. So the father loves the son. The reason is because Jesus lays down his life for the sheep. And the purpose of laying down his life is that he may take it up again. Whoa. Now, many of men have given their lives up for their wives, their children, their country. But not one of them has ever said, I have the power to pick it up again. Now, we do have the power to give up our life. And we do it heroically at times. But no man ever has the power to take it up again himself. Now, he's in a whole different category. You understand? <laughs> and he moves on as the good shepherd now gives a relationship to his death. Because he has just mentioned the resurrection. Verse 18, he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This command I have received from my Father. One, no one takes his life from him, but he lays it down of himself. 
Jesus was never a victim. Understand that. Jesus was not killed by man, but laid down his life himself. He dismissed his spirit when the appointed time came. He declared, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the spirit, John 19, 30. Any of you can say, okay, I'm going to die. That's it. Boom. No. We strive. We, we survive. We want to hang on. He released it. He was in control. Jesus was not powerless in the grave, for he had power to raise up his life even as he had declared. Listen. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. This was his saying when he cleansed the temple in chapter 2, but he was speaking of the temple of his body, the resurrection. Chapter 2, verse 20 through 21. He's told us from the beginning. He's told the Pharisees from the beginning, but they haven't been listening, but neither have his disciples. Jesus was not acting alone, but in one with the Father. Having received this very commandment from him, having submitted himself to the incarnation and willfully limiting himself for a time, only doing the work of the Father as he was stating to the Pharisees. And so he received this commandment. He said, I can do nothing of myself. So being God, he emptied himself, Philippians 2 says, and he didn't think it robbery to be equal with God, but he took on the form of a servant and emptied himself, and he served. And for that reason, the name has been given to him above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I mean, what else can you be but God? He was God when he left. He was God when he came. And he is God after he left. It's very simple. But he submitted himself, limited himself for a time. For whose favor? For whose benefit? Yours and mine. Because see, if he wouldn't have limited himself for a time and became a man, you and I would have said, yeah, but he's God. That's why he did it. But he became a man. And depending on the Father, that's why he got up early and prayed. That's why he had to be filled with the Spirit of God. That's why he used the Word of God. That's why he prayed. To show you and myself his dependency on the Father so that you and I can have the same dependency and have the same outcome. He says, I do always those things that please the Father. Whoa. He did it as a man. That kind of puts you and me in a real bad position. That means that we don't have any excuse for our failure. Am I preaching perfection? Never. But you better strive because the Father's looking. We need to understand that. Now notice here, lastly, the good shepherd's relationship to the hearer is applied. Notice how he's made application to the sheep, to the father, everything. Now to the hearer. Verse 19, the conclusion. And every time when you come across the word, therefore, it means conclusion of everything that's preceded. The conclusion was that there was a division among the Jews because of his saying. Verse 19. This was a common outcome. You know, Jesus always causes divisions. Didn't he not say, don't think that I've come to this world to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword, to put father against son, mother against daughter, and vice versa? Jesus will divide you between your friends, your family members, and everyone else. Either you're for him or you're against him. You cannot be neutral with Jesus. Either he is Messiah 
and Savior and Redeemer and Lord, or he's the greatest lunatic that has ever lived, and you get to decide. But I warn you, your decision weighs heavy as to where you will spend eternity. And that decision is made before you die, not after you die. And it's made by you and you alone. You can blame nobody. The phrase Jews primarily identifies the Pharisees here as Jesus has been addressing them from chapter 9 to here. Now, there may have been people surrounding them and no doubts if there were, there was also division with them because not everybody's going to agree the same regarding Jesus. The many in the crowds were convinced Jesus had a demon. Notice that. And sarcastically told the others, why do you listen to him? <laughs> Some people hear that you're a Christian and say, oh, what do you want to do that for? Well, you know, you, you used to be fun. But notice the others in the crowd were judging that the words of Jesus were not the words of one who had a demon and validated their statement by their observation. Listen to them. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So that's good. The discourse was paying off. They were questioning. They were thinking. They were being open, this small group. The answer to the rhetorical question is, no, a demon cannot open the blind man's eyes. <laughs> Only God. Uh-oh, we're in trouble. <laughs> the obvious conclusions that are implied in this discourse, directly and indirectly, must not be missed. One, the blind man's testimony was valid. Jesus did heal him, therefore he was Messiah. God himself. Secondly, the blind man was one of the sheep of Jesus. For that reason, he heard his voice and he responded to his voice. Thirdly, the Pharisees were blind spiritually and they were still in their sins. Sad note. Fourthly, the person alone must examine the words of Jesus and decide for herself or himself, who he is, and it will determine their eternal destiny by their choice. Heavy truths. This is the application by Jesus to the Pharisees regarding their spiritual blindness. He is not talking to his disciples. He's talking to the religious leaders who have just kicked out the blind men. The discourse of the Good Shepherd that was declared to the Pharisees is laid out in a threefold progression of good inductive Bible study, which helps us understand it by these three steps of progression. The proclamation, what was said. The interpretation, what it meant. And the application, how it applies to me in life. Incredible discourse. Don't miss it. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, once more summarizing for us the simple truths of John chapter 10, truths that offer sight to the spiritually blinded, as he wraps up our time for today. Well, Pastor Xavier has now concluded this message entitled, The Good Shepherd of the Sheep. And you can hear this message again, if you like, online anytime by selecting today's date under the radio tab at calvarychapelpasadena.com. And if what you've heard has posed a specific challenge in your own walk, maybe your own CD copy would be helpful for further personal study. It includes everything you heard last time as well. In fact, there's even more content to the message than time allows us to present on the air. And having your own copy allows you to listen and make notes at your own pace. So just mention today's date or the title once again, The Good Shepherd of the Sheep, and we'd be happy to pass one along to you for just $4. You can address your request to Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, let us know the call letters of the station you hear us on. That enables us to track where our radio outreach has been a ministry to our listening friends. And thank you for your help. Next time, Pastor Xavier brings us the miraculous story of a man raised from the dead. And that's not even the best part of the story. Hope you'll tune in. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com